Welcome to The Creative Switch, the podcast inspiring the sensibly successful to switch on their unexpressed creativity for a more fulfilled life. If you have school-aged children or are passionate about the importance of education, you'll probably be aware of the general push towards the STEM subjects. That's science, technology, engineering and maths. Of course, the world needs these and studying towards careers in these disciplines is sensible, right? Today's guest, Nick Corston, has an alternative view. In the last 10 years, Nick has been described as a man on a mission by Wired magazine and The Guardian. Dad and co-founder of community interest company Steamco joins me to talk about that mission and why the A in STEAM is so vital. And if you're looking to turn your creative inspiration into action, don't forget to listen right to the end of the episode and catch up with my creative adventures. I share the challenges I encounter and how acting on the nuggets I've learnt from my guests and applying those learnings is helping me to move forward in my own creative projects. If you struggle with not feeling good enough at your chosen creative skill, this week's tip is definitely for you. Just before we get to that, let me remind you to head to my website, nikkivalance.com, and sign up to join the Creative Switch community and get involved in the creative conversation. You can connect with like-minded creatives, find a safe space to share your challenges, support each other, and who knows, maybe even collaborate to create something new. First though, it's time for some creative news in the edge. A recent study by Hyundai found that three quarters of Brits feel that the UK system is too one size fits all. The curriculum for most schools mandates the study of key academic subjects for the English Baccalaureate or EBAC. Some schools, the University Technical Colleges or UTCs, are exempt from this commitment with more flexibility to design their curricula around the skills and disciplines which are more closely aligned to industry and the local businesses and their needs. Sarah Pashley, Principal of Ron Deering University Technical College in Hull, says the EBAC, which includes GCSEs in English language and literature, maths, science, a language and either geography or history, should be scrapped to give schools across the country the freedom to put technology and creativity at the heart of learning alongside more traditional academic subjects. There are three articles that I will share the links with in the show notes that give you more information around Sarah's views and the Hyundai study. And if you're interested, you can dig into that a little bit more. But what do you think? Share your views on this with me, either in the Creative Switch community or on Instagram. And don't forget, you can find all the links to connect in the show notes. And listen on to hear my discussion on the role creativity plays in education with my guest, who has a master's in electronics, a top grade design A-level, and a motor mouth. Those are his words. Nick Corston. (music) 
Hello, Nick, and welcome to The Creative Switch. Hello, Nikki. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. So I would like to start by asking you to introduce yourself, tell everybody who's listening a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, yes, I'm, uh, I'm Nick Corston. I'm, I'd like to say I'm just a dad, co-founder and maybe one day CEO, wannabe CEO of a nonprofit called Steamco, Steam Collaboration CIC. That's Community Interest Company. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And we're here really because I spotted a blog article that you'd written and a lot of the things that you're trying to do with your Community Interest Company really struck a chord with me. Lots of the things I believe in terms of how important creativity is and how we should embrace it and how we should help our children to gain access to it or better access to it really matter. So would you be able to tell us, before we go into too much detail about that venture, which is just phenomenal, how you ended up there? What what path did you take to get to this point? In terms of your bits that you've done in your life, the key turning points, <laughs> because it's interesting the, the background that you have in the, the combination of skills, which feed into STEAM, obviously. I mean, my elevator pitch is that I've got a master's degree in electronic engineering. I've got a grade AA level design technology qualification and a big mouth. So I, I understand technology. I'm creatively aware and I love selling a good story. So my journey has really characterized that, my life journey. I often say that I was a bit of a blue Peter child. So I was always making, cutting, sticking, gluing. Um, what's a quote, Professor Guy Claxton, actually something he said to me when I started this. He said, allow your children to be bored because boredom is the engine of imagination. And I think my parents allowed me to be bored. They didn't have much choice. My mom's a housewife. My dad was a shift worker. And I just sat there and made things and glued and stuck and, and entertained myself with creativity in hindsight. So I was always making things out of cardboard boxes and cereal packets and toilet roll holders, watching Blue Peter to see what the project of the week was and playing with my Lego. That, that was my toolkit. I had very little interest in education. I took creativity for granted, even though I had a career in the creative industries. In the end, I had a fairly dull couple of years at BT on their fast track graduate entry program which drove me around the bend nearly literally and then i got into the early days of digital media then i did some of the first cd-rom projects um the first web projects i did the first ever webcast for microsoft um from the edinburgh festival in 1995 so all this coming together of playing with technology that was my sort of background really and that's what dragged me through life i had no interest really in kids or creativity or education until i had them and, and I think that that's a very key point, actually, because very few people do, particularly these days, people are focused on survival. Yeah. And it's very difficult to pay an awful lot of attention to education, to schools and to kids. So Ken Robinson, whose TED Talk inspired me on my journey, if an academic, however creative, however clever they are, if an academic like Sir Ken Robinson writes a paper about creative schools, they tend to call it something like creative schools, which is what Ken Robinson's book was called. When someone like Seth Godin writes a paper about creative schools, not least because he's now got kids and realises what um, the education system's doing to his kids, he wrote a paper called Stop Stealing Dreams. Now, that gets you right in the heart, and that's classic Seth Godin, really understanding what it is that's going to make people connect and resonate and act on what he's done. So really, I had no interest until I saw that TED Talk by Sir Ken Robinson on how schools can kill creativity. 
I read half a book by Professor Guy Claxton again, uh, which is called What's the Point of School? I didn't read the second half because I was sold on the fact that there were certain things that should and shouldn't be happening. And the third thing, I went to a, a festival, a family festival called Camp Best, which is almost like Glastonbury for middle class um, guardian reading families like me. Very high production values for the kids, but also fantastic stuff for the, the parents as well. And we thought, hey, we want this in our kids' school. We want to run creativity days in our kids' school. So we went back to this, the school, had a chat with the headmistress. She said yes. I had no idea what she was letting herself in for. <laughs> and as a result, 60 parents turned up two months later. We ran a, a creativity day, Steam Co. Day, as we call them now, where the kids could pick and choose between 20 creative thinking and doing activities staged by the community, run by parents and uh, teachers and local businesses and artists. And they were fantastic days. And, and we just kept doing it and doing it. And five years into that, I kept losing my job because I just found I was just realized I wasn't very good at doing jobs I didn't enjoy. I'd started and founded and sold a couple of digital agencies, didn't get much money, but I got to the next milestone. I had big jobs in digital agencies, creative agencies, the world's biggest ad agencies. And it really just wasn't for me. My heart wasn't in it. And suddenly I found that in Steam Co, my heart was in it. And it really did make sense for me, mm. which is why you find me now <laughs> sat in the back of this camper van on a campsite in Cornwall. So if you hear somebody <laughs> tapping away, it's my next door neighbours putting their gazebo up because it's this, this campsite at this time of year is actually full of families who've retired and they've spent their pensions and their savings on the camper van. And this is their life now. And it's quite a contrast actually to mine because I kind of breeze in with my camper van covered in graphics and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, I, I turned a few heads. What was lovely, an elderly lady came up to me in, in reception earlier and she said, oh, do you love art? Because obviously I've got the I Love Art t-shirt on. And I said, why do you? She said, oh, yes, I do. And you should check this podcast out by Juliet Gladstone. So she said was Art Tribe. It was actually, it's Art Juice. A different vibe to yours in that this is about inspiration for artists as, as opposed to the broader creative agenda you've got. But I had a chat with her and, you know, it was just so lovely. Here I am on a campsite. And because I've covered my van in graphics, people come and talk to me. I had a knock on the door earlier. It was somebody who was running a retro gaming feature at a festival I was at in Herefordshire three weeks ago. Since I've been to a festival in Shropshire, another one in Devon, one last weekend, wherever that was. So really, that Blue Peter background, the tech, the creative, has, has set me up to run Steamco as a project that runs and facilitates creativity days in, in primary schools mm. and, to a certain extent, secondary schools as well. So we believe in championing inspiring and igniting the power of creativity in our schools, in our work and our lives, because... Ultimately, it's about our children, it's about education. But if we don't connect the creative industries, if we don't connect creative people with education, education is going to carry on in this silo and nothing's going to change. Mm -hmm. So Steamco is a project with something for everybody, whether they've got kids in school, whether they're going to have kids, they're young, trendy hipsters who are just bursting to express their creativity, or whether they're people who've had kids and they've left the nest, or people who are never going to have kids but love creativity. So it's yet to see its true potential because mm. it's been hard getting funding. It's been hard getting through COVID. But the, the ultimate potential is to really bring creativity, to bring communities together around schools and, and school communities. And, and that's the vision, really. I've never done any live streaming before lockdown. And I was absolutely delighted to, <laughs> to get a prize from the Arts Council. for. Um, I came second in their Digital Ambassador Award this year wow. because I managed to get all this technology and all this kit in front of me here. It's all pretty nuts, the stuff I've got going on here. So I've, I've got about 20 different audio channels there. I've got lots of buttons here. And this is the least of my setup. I've usually got three screens in front of me here. <laughs> and I've got a satellite dish on the roof. So 
it's an exciting project and and it's a pleasure to be talking to you because I, I often find myself bogged down on conversations about creativity and education mm. but what you're doing is really exciting about helping people find that creativity maybe within their current job or to help them plot a plan towards something that lets them be more creative yeah definitely so you mentioned earlier on in your elevator pitch that you say to people about your background there were the two fairly strong pillars apart from the communicator the big mouth <laughs> there were the other two pillars which were the engineer which goes back to, as you say to the blue peter sticking and pasting and making and the a level in design so did you always know that you were not pigeonholeable? Did you always know that you were not going to be satisfied pursuing one over the other? Or did was there a moment when you thought, no, actually, I'm going to work holistically here and use all of my interests and talents? That's very interesting because I've, I've never considered not using all the talents I have. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I had two, a year in industry in my engineering degree and it bored me rigid. And I thought I can't work in an industrial unit with little daylights, plotting mm -hmm. away, doing a tiny bit of a big project. That did not suit me. But I see everything I do to a degree having an element of engineering, making, science. And frankly, even though we're called Steamco, which echoes the science, technology, engineering, art and maths mantra. Yeah. I'm not that fussed about science in isolation. I'm, I'm not that fussed about maths or engineering in isolation. But when it all comes together, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got a great big cardboard guitar here I made for a festival. And I went to an indie festival the other week with that on my shoulders. And the amount of people who just came up and started talking to me. I mean, Seth Godin, we mentioned him earlier, he also gave me a lovely phrase when he published a book, Your Turn, actually, which said that art, art is what we call it when what we do might connect us to somebody else. And every word of that sentence is so considered that might be particularly important mm -hmm. because you don't have to have guaranteed connectivity. No. You just give no. it a go. If it doesn't work, you try again. Yeah. Ultimately, the objective is to connect yeah. with other people one way or another. Yeah, and and as a result of that, you know, I've got the art T-shirt, but we say, we go into schools and say we're about helping kids find their passion. What Sir Ken Robinson called their element, or what mm -hmm. we would call their art, mm -hmm. whether it's painting or photography, cooking, coding, making things from cardboard. I gave somebody a cardboard modelling set the other week at a festival, and I found this sword by the caravan. He'd made a sword out of cardboard and just dropped it off to say thank you. You know, if that's not connected with somebody, I don't know what is. Um, so cooking, coding, cardboard, dance, design, DJing, fashion, football, racing cars, robots, rockets. You know, these, yeah. these are all things we thread into the work we do. And yeah, it resonates with somebody. Something we talk about is going to resonate with somebody. Otherwise, we have to check for a pulse, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Going back to schooling, you said you weren't particularly interested necessarily in the formal process of schooling. Did you have passions that were identifiable to other people as creative passions? So I'm talking about, for example, I was very, very fortunate to go to a junior school where they set up a dance troupe. We also had a chess club, but then you could also learn guitar. And the music teacher decided to run some mini design technology classes. And I made something before I went to senior school, which had an element of metalwork in it and some enamel painting and some, yeah, just upholstery. It was weird in the sense that I don't think anybody of my other peers coming from other feeder schools into my senior school had had any of that opportunity. I think I was just extremely lucky to be in a great school. It wasn't, there was nothing supposedly special about it, but I recognize those inputs from those creative 
teachers, educators, that they were giving us just opportunities to explore those passions. And I guess what you're trying to do is give schools that. It's interesting. Yeah, almost it sometimes feels like a one man job in some schools. I mean, many schools have outside practitioners coming in. A number don't. Looking back at my own education, I think we took for granted that creativity, arts and crafts and drama were just mm-hmm. an accepted part of the curriculum and yeah. part of the thread. Michael Gove and Dominic Cummings actually had, probably hadn't been born when I was at school. And without wanting to get party political, but policy political, their work has systematically narrowed the curriculum around numeracy and literacy mm-hmm. for various reasons. There's a podcast in that alone, whether it's because those are two core pillars of ability, knowledge or whatever that every child should have and it's, it was slipping or because they have a, an ideological reason to deny people access to their creativity mm. and what it is that makes them human and those critical thinking skills. That's a whole rabbit hole of conspiratorial thinking, which we probably don't want to go down now. But <laughs> no, I think I took it for granted. I, mean, I don't remember having a passion for acting or drama, but I know we did drama every week, which seemed to involve reenacting an episode of the Sweeney and beating up the headmaster's son, to be honest, because he was always the baddie and we were always the cops. But at the same time, ironically, he was my best friend, the headmaster's son, Arthur, and and we actually had a play called Arthur. Yeah, I think I had a starring role in the school play. Yeah. But then three years later, I realised the lighting wasn't working in the, in the school hall, so I actually bought a screwdriver and a soldiering iron and rewired the whole school's lighting system and got it working by the night of the play, which wouldn't be allowed now without the appropriate regulations no. and risk assessments and health and safety. I mean, it's remarkable, really. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I just turned my hands to everything without stopping thinking about it, to be honest. But yeah. I certainly don't remember any aha moments when a, a, no. a Legs Akimbo theatre movement came in and, no. and or, or the Burundi drummers came to school particularly, because I just think it was just part of our education yeah. and our home life, really. So obviously you mentioned the schools that you go into there. Aside from going to schools, how are you driving the movement? What have you been up to to try and get this message out there? It's funny because I'd love to think of it as a movement, but it, it does feel quite lonely sometimes. I've been surprised how few people have actually engaged with it. I wonder if sometimes if they can just keep up because I don't stand still for very long, I must admit. <laughs> what I do, as I say, for me, this is about creativity in our schools, work and lives. So a big part of it for going into communities, going to festivals, as I say. So I've actually been to nine festivals this summer. We've had the camper van. It's actually hashtag Starship 22. Um, <laughs> we pretend it's a starship flying around the country. And... We've had a pop-up at those festivals, so we'll have a bunch of tables. People can make and fire paper rockets. They can make things out of cardboard or design and print. I love art T-shirts with their own heart that they draw, or they can design their own things, stick on a T-shirt. So that's a way of getting donations in to fund our work and keep us going. And that's great fun. I've worn myself out because I really give it 120% when I'm out there. We, we have a bunch of disco music playing, but really, if I say it myself, I'm a bit of a disco train spotter and DJ train spotter. <laughs> so we have very well mixed, very, very long versions of disco classics, dub style, really beautifully mixed. This is the generation of young people we've got now, like a TikTok generation, where everything they want is like 10 second bursts where they get the anthem or the bit, the song that makes them think, yeah, it's that song. And then they want the next adrenaline rush. Off the, off the next song. So my point is, I'm playing 12 minute versions of D- DJ Dimitri's Sister Sledge and our Rogers remixes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm expressing my creativity and indulging my own musical tastes when I go out. But Brilliant. you know what? The amount of people who come up and say, you know, it's so great to hear this music while I'm making something with my kids. Yeah. So we're almost like a Pixar movie, working at both the adult level yeah. and the child level yeah. as well. 
Fantastic. So how long has Steamco existed and what's the plan? Where are you going with it? What's the next sort of phases that you're trying to move towards? So we had that moment of that spark, if you like, 13 years ago, actually, no, 14 years ago this year, actually, at Camp Bestival in 2009, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And then we ran those days for five or six days. The only problem with having kids is they do grow up, they do leave primary school. So you kind of have to kind of leave with them. Or do what I've done, give your career out and start running Steamco as a non-profit to let you just keep doing it and working with, inspiring, engaging other people's kids. We actually started Steamco as a non-profit 10 years ago, launched that as an event at the Royal Institution in 2014. And in the last six or seven years, I've been virtually full-time on it. All my other work dried up again because I had no interest in things that I wasn't mm. interested in, so they dried up. So I've been on a hand-to-mouth journey, really, and I had a bit of sponsorship here and there, a couple of grants. Lockdown was was very good to us. We got about £100,000 in grant funding from the Arts Council and Department of Culture and ended up giving actually about 120000 over, over 18 months and ended up giving 80% of it away to other artists, to production people. To, we did a three-day Glastonbury Festival on a cardboard pyramid stage, for example, all using computer graphics and green screens. So I've got a green screen over there. I put the green screen behind me in this studio here and I can be anywhere. Mm -hmm. So we did a three-day Glastonbury Festival with the Kemp brothers who talked about art and drama and how a 20 pence drama club changed their life forever in Islington. We had Glenn Matlock from Sex Pistols did a set with Earl Slick, who was David Bowie's guitarist. But we had kids with additional needs from Leeds playing piano, Lenny from Leeds, and a young daughter and a dad doing karaoke and singing along in Somerset, coming in on video mixed Zoom calls. We did a three-day event from the Eden Project, but without leaving the house because we were in lockdown. And then we actually did a three-day art festival in a field, physically, literally in a field as lockdown was lifted with limited numbers. And we had an art trail in a, in a Devon meadow where we mowed a path and people walked through it and come across bits of art you know, and did a live stream elsewhere. So, yeah, so that's that's the journey. Where it goes behind me in the camper van here is actually a little truck, which we call our pop-up creativity day art track that's got everything in it you need to run a creativity day in a primary school or at a community setting such as a fete or a festival and the dream the plan the need is quite frankly to prove that what i've done as that blue peter child as that jack of all trades master of none um the challenge is to prove this can scale now we yeah. don't scale it massively day one but what i want to do is get the first three of those trucks on the road I'm a Shropshire lad, so I want the first one to be in Shropshire, mm -hmm. which was the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution. So let's face it, yeah. we're better to launch a creativity revolution. We want the second one to be in Cornwall, where I am now, because Richard Trevedic came from Cornwall with his invention, the world's first steam train, the steam loco, the locomotion. He had that built in Ironbridge. So Cornwall would be the second truck. And then the third one will be in Yorkshire, because Yorkshire provided the coal. And, and for us, our art is the coal of the creativity revolution. Mm -hmm. And we want to get three trucks there. So they're £50,000 each to fully fund a Steamster, a mini-me, and one of those trucks for a year to go into schools for free and to face some festivals for free to prove it can work, to then build momentum so that they can then run it as a, a self-funding non-profit franchise, basically. And mm -hmm. then we'll roll them out to another 20 places across the country. Mm. Just got to prove it can work. It's easier said than done because I'm struggling to raise significant money. Mm. I mean, anything we raise just seems to keep me going, and I'm on a very modest income. Mm. I've actually paid myself for three months. Very difficult. 
So, so that's the plan. So we, we're calling it the hashtag Arm Million 23 appeal, a mission to raise a, a million quids to inspire a million kids to aim higher than high, powered by their creativity and our communities working with schools. So really what I need, I need parents, creative people, businesses to back me, to back this. I've yeah. been hoping that a large organisation would match fund it, but they haven't come forward with that yet. And so I'm just going to go out, I'm going to come out the stocks and say, look, who's in, let's let's get a GoFundMe going go. and start getting people to chip in, yeah, and see what happens. Because, you know, if I can't raise the funding after everything I've done, then it's not going to happen. Children aren't getting fed in schools. No. Schools are having their budgets cut left, right and centre, blah, blah, blah. You know, you've got famine across the world, you've got disasters here and there. And it's another demand on people's money. If people don't see this as a priority, then I'm just going to have to knock it on the head and just do what I do to keep me ticking along to impact the, the small number of people I can reach. But seems a shame it really does and i, I know yeah. there are many many creative people in the creative industries and i've just got to get in front of them people have come across my work i mean mclaren recently um, one of their sponsors an organization called smartsheet who are an american tech firm that produce project management software of, of, on steroids they help <laughs> companies work smarter to do good work they're a sponsor of the mclaren f1 car every once in a while they take their logo off so in australia they sponsored a science group that worked with indigenous populations aborigine groups they took the logo of a, a project in america that works with young urban males and gives them entrepreneurial skills and tech skills and they came to the uk for the british grand prix and picked on this white middle class guardian reader liberal lefty <laughs> me and basically i think they thought i was going to be good social media good video which i think i was if you've seen the film so basically they took they put our logo on the front of their car at the british grand prix they spent significant six figures on making a film about our work in Ironbridge and in London. And then we took families from Shropshire, from Cornwall and Yorkshire, down to the McLaren factory. We had a day with them there. Lando Norris, their driver, came into a school, gave a child a lift back to the factory. And then we had in Silverstone for the British Grand Prix. So one heck of a week. And I've really just got to start pushing and promoting that and, and yeah. making connections on the back of that because that's a hell yeah. of an endorsement. Yeah. Very grateful for that. We didn't actually get paid anything. I mean, a lot of people seem to think we got funding directly as a result of that. We didn't, which is why I'm still begging. I've got a little bunch of orange buckets here, which are my, <laughs> my collection buckets. <laughs> that's the plan. That's the mission. That's the vision. You, you have got that. It's running through everything you talk about. And, you know, I can hear it in your voice. But, you know, we were talking about purpose earlier on. It, it definitely feels like, not just because you're enjoying it, but it feels like you're doing something really important. And it's like anything. People have to know about something brilliant for it to be brilliant in a way. So I'm happy to help spread the word and get people to follow you and see what they can do to help. Right. It's interesting. You, you, hit, a, you hit a bit of a nerve there, actually, Nick. It's did funny, actually. I? And I'm glad, I'm, no, no, I'm glad you did. I mean, look at that. I mean, if that's not living the dream, what's not? Picture of me and, and Starship 22 surfboard and a bike. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I got here yesterday. I went for a surf howling <laughs> gale, but there was surf. And it's the most beautiful beach, Gwythian, just opposite St. Ives. It's one of the most beautiful places in Britain. And I personally think the beach here is massively superior to the Amalfi Coast that everybody goes on about. Now, yesterday afternoon honestly felt like the first half day, afternoon I've had off since, goodness me, April. Wow. I, I haven't had a holiday. I've been on the road f since Glastonbury, uh, and actually two months before that because I was on the road for the McLaren project. I haven't seen much of my family at all. And it actually does get quite lonely, you know, but but as I say, that image there is the image of just me living some sort of lifestyle thing. You could say it's a lifestyle project, living in the back of a motorhome for three months. I do enjoy it. I love connecting with people. But my goodness, it's incredibly lonely sometimes. And it's those moments when you wake up at five o'clock in the morning and you wonder what on earth you're doing and you can't sleep. I used to take sleeping pills years ago 
and now, believe it or not, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. I actually listen to podcasts because they, I, and I don't think I've, I've heard the, more than the first ten minutes of many podcasts because they always send me to sleep. It's that it's that calming, dulcet tones. I promise to listen to yours while I'm driving <laughs> when I can't fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, well, don't definitely don't fall asleep when you're driving. I don't know. I think people would look from the outside and think, "Oh, this is an idyllic lifestyle," but actually, I can hear what you're doing is working really, really hard to try and make it work and it's it's non-stop like you I, yeah. I do all the video i do i do all my audio editing all my social media mm. I, i'm I, this is full on yeah <laughs> crazy, isn't it, really? yeah 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 so in the broader sense who do you need who are you trying to reach obviously you need sponsorship so if you do a gofundme you'll need people to try and tip into that but if you were trying to reach a bigger wider more influential person or people or organization who are you asking for help from it's interesting, actually. The original framework for Steam Co, as I say, was a community engagement thing. So I would love to have been able to say, we're running a Steam Co day at this school. We need 10 members of the community to come and help. Now, when we ran our Steam Co days in my kids' school, it was a very safe, closed community. And, and they were willing and grateful and glad for outside support, all subject to the safeguarding of that school, the safeguarding protocols and child protection, that sort of stuff. I've since spoken to head teachers who said, look, good luck with that, because we can't even get four parents from our school community, DBS checked, to become governors, because such is the social deprivation, the the backgrounds of some of the members of their community. Some mm. parents are very young and have had very unfortunate life experiences that have marked them for the rest of their lives. They may have criminal records and they can't actively help with the school. So you'd like to think that we could, but we'd have to have such a big vetting for procedure. So there's a thing called the STEM Ambassador Program, which takes STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths people from engineering, from science into schools. But they manage the DBS checking and the criminal record checks for those people. Mm. Maybe that's somewhere we get to, I don't know. So yes, we will ultimately need volunteers at a lower level. I just want people to sign up and follow and send me nice messages every once in a while and say, do you know what, Nick, keep it up because I, I do need that reinforcement. I need that endorsement because it's yeah. tough. But when I bump into that lady at the shop here at the campsite, somebody I was at a festival the other day, they always say, you know, we're just blown away with what you're doing. Keep it up. And that keeps me going. Um, my family aren't so convinced sometimes. But mm. you know what? I, I hate to say it. I need people with money because a lot of the grants organizations, it's often the case of computer says no. I've been very lucky to have support from one of the SpaceX astronauts, actually, who spent some money a couple of years ago and has been very generous. The organization that managed Nile Rogers have been very generous with sponsorship. Elton John's team, they've allowed me to use... Um, Rocket Man, for what it's worth, and your song in our videos, and giving us permission to do that. It's not money. It doesn't. It doesn't scale Steamco. It doesn't feed my family and and people who work with me. But I'd like to think that some of those people might fund us significantly. And I'm yeah. hoping that when I come out of the stocks and say, "Look what McLaren did. What are you going to do?" Without being too aggressive about it, everybody seems to like what I do. Everybody mm. seems to advocate for creativity every day now. Somebody's on Radio Four or in the Guardian talking about how important art and creativity are. Everybody's talking about this. Mm -hmm. Why won't they support me? Because I'm prepared to put the miles in. I'm prepared to put the hours in. I'm mm -hmm. doing something. And that, people can talk. People can write the books, do the TED Talks. But for goodness sake, support people who are up at the coalface doing this. Dare I say, making ourselves very unpopular because government policy is an opposite direction to this. And a lot of organizations, large numbers of members of the establishment, I hate to say it, pay lip service to what we're doing, and yet support 
policies and governments and people who are quite opposed and destructive to what we stand for. And by being opposed to the government, you're almost positioned as being a class war warrior. You know, I'm not. This isn't about class war. It's about everybody having access to what I consider to be a human right. Mm -hmm. And that is the ability to understand, to be educated and to be able to express yourself creatively. And it's massive for well-being. Yeah. You know, I think you're right. I think just more voices need to join yours. That's what needs to happen so that we can start to chip away at the other narrative, which is that the economy and the well-being of our country and the world has to be driven by science. And as you say, the basic academic stuff, when the essence of living is being yourself and we are all creative and we all need an outlet for that. And if we're all doing that, partly maybe for well-being, That would save a lot of money for the economy if we could all look after ourselves better. There's so many angles to it. I think it just, there needs to be a push by more people joining your voice, I think. That's my view. But tell me, when we talk about creativity, what does that mean? What does that word mean to you? Gosh, it's interesting. Whenever anybody asks me that question, my first reference is always Sir Ken Robinson's definition, which is having original ideas that have value which is great. The instant perception and definition of value in that context is economic value, value to the economy. And I think that's a dangerous trap. If the only way we can justify creativity in our education, in our lives, is because we have economic value to the economy, then we're in a sticky wicket because the the computers and AI are going to do a lot of those creativity jobs. And it would appear that while computer and AI creativity is a bit naff and a bit cheesy occasionally, do you know what? It's good enough for a lot of people. Yeah given the way that a lot of people accept sort of thrown together clip art graphics and wizard drawn posters. So we have to be very careful not to say, well, that, if that's the only justification for creativity, that's a very good reason not to fund creativity in schools because those jobs won't exist. Yeah. So let's just educate people to consume. That's, well, that's not good enough. So creativity in terms of definition, I, w- I wouldn't argue with, with Sir Ken's. There's, there's a lovely phrase, which I think would chime with a lot of your followers, your listeners, and you yourself, hopefully as well. It's, it came from a chap called Mike Fairclough, who's a head teacher of a school in Sussex on many, many acres of land. And he's got buffalo in the school grounds. He rides around the school on a quad bike. He's got a big Afghan coat, three-piece suit, shirt unbuttoned to his waist and medallion and hairy chest. He's the most handsome chap you ever saw. And he wrote a book about living childhood traits in adulthood. And I forget what it was called. But the essence of that book is about living living a creative life and playing the grateful game, if you like. So always finding gratitude in everything you do. Whatever happens, you can see in two ways. You can see negatively or you can see positive. Oh, I've just tripped, but hey, I didn't break my leg. Oh, I've just lost a fiver, but hey, I can still afford my mortgage. Because if you're grateful, it's academically proven you will be happier. Yeah. Because you're not disappointed, because you're not judging yourself against people with more or better or a nicer caravan or whatever, or a better holiday, or even having had a holiday. I haven't had a holiday this year. My passport ran out in July. I'm not very popular because of that. And I didn't do that deliberately, but I knew I was going to be busy. This is a big year for me and I wasn't going on holiday. So if you're grateful, you get, you're happier. And when you're happy, you get lucky because you connect with mm-hmm. opportunities and people as I have today on this campsite, as I do every day when I'm out and about. The worst days I have are when I don't leave this fan. There are days when I don't because I'm a bit down the dumps or the weather's miserable. But when I'm when I'm happy, and it, because I've just had a connection or a conversation like this, or I've been for surf or done something, 
you know, when those endorphins are pumping, things happen. The magic comes. A lot of people yeah. blame it on the universe. You know, I, I just blame it on on my art. My art is connecting at the end of the day, as yeah. Steph says, art connects. Yeah, that's a brilliant note to end on. But before we do, I want you to tell people if they're interested in funding you or connecting with you or want to follow what you're doing, where do you hang out and how can they connect with you? Well, I've got one of those website things, steamco.org.uk. But so go there and have a dig around there. It needs a bit of tidying up. But basically, the, the main hashtag, if, if people really want to get behind it, is hashtag our million 23, raising a million quids to inspire a million kids. There are a number of ways that people can donate. We can do that in there. There's a Patreon, there's um, a PayPal link. But I, I think I really do need now to, to put a GoFundMe in place mm-hmm. and say, this is our target 250,000 to put three of these trucks on the road and to fully fund Steam Co for the year, because I need to start bridging the gap between our school visits. I need a YouTube channel regularly updated for kids, the Rocket Kids Club. I want to do an Art Connect show once a week, chatting with artists and creative people who are living a creative life. And I need to recruit a helper because I'm doing all this on my own. And on the thing called Sea Monster, which is an oil rig that the government put on the beach at Western Supermares. Did you know about the Unbox Festival? I've heard of it, but I didn't really follow much. Tell me I'm more. so glad to hear you say that because you, you should, in a way, you should be ashamed of yourself, but you shouldn't. They, it wasn't very well promoted. Five years ago, the government announced the National Festival of Creativity. I got very excited. I was briefed by the culture minister then on it and got very excited, thinking £120 million for this festival of creativity. All we need is a million to get 20 of our trucks on the road fully funded for a year, 20 people doing what I do. And then they panicked. Boris Johnson, Dominic Cummings came into power. There was a fear that Department of Culture was going to be closed down completely. But the money went to Birmingham for the Commonwealth Games, and they decided to spend that £120 million across 10 projects. What we pitched with 10 really good organisations, but we didn't get a look in. One of those projects was to put a real oil rig, or actually a gas exploration rig, on the beach at Western Supermare. They called it Sea Monster, and it was brilliant. It had forests, it had a lecture theatre, it had a rain machine, it had waterfalls, solar panels. So it was an artwork about reuse, reuse of an industrial object, an oil rig. And there were three months late getting it up, and no surprise, because it was a very ambitious project. But they were always going to close it at the same time. So originally, six weeks, they decided they were going to have it open to the public force. So we campaigned, and, it, and a number of other people did, and extended that open period for up to eight weeks. So they spent £10 million putting an oil rig on the beach at Western Supermare and have literally scrapped it, chopped it up for scrap after eight weeks. They gave us 10 travel grants. We took groups from... Uh, Cardiff, from North London, from Coventry, from Gloucester, a group from Newport, a chap there came along, and, and it was a STEAM project, Science, Technology, Engineering, Art, Maths was the, the project mission for this Unbox Festival, as they called it. And so this oil rig was a STEAM project, and we took a chap down from Newport, from the Salvation Army down there, in a little bus trip we ran, and he was appalled to hear it was being chopped up, because he used to be a steam train driver for the Great Western Railway, and he said, well, they chopped all those steam trains up, we mustn't let them chop Sea Monster up. So we started a petition to save Sea Monster. And all this summer, at Fates and Festivals, we have been building Sea Monster, or hashtag Our Sea Monster, that's S-E-E. So people look for hashtag Our Sea Monster. They, we've, they'll see, we've built it as a 100-metre tall cardboard, not oil rig, but art rig, because oil and, and coal were the industrial revolution. Art is the fuel for the creativity revolution, as I said. And using computer graphics, we make it look as if it's real. Our starship lands on it. You won't believe it. Go and check the videos out. I know this is an audio podcast. But yeah, so, and that's why this is our starship. I'm flying around the country in our starship, landing on our sea monster everywhere we go. So 
the reason I mentioned that is I met somebody on that, that oil rig last October, Benji, who's um, non-binary, uh, mixed race, had a terrible upbringing. Benji said, um, really special to me coming to Western Supermare because I always wanted to come with my mum. And I said, well, why don't you? So my mum passed away. Tragically, they were homeless for six years and moved into accommodation by the local authority that had damp. And his mum died in two weeks from inhaling spores. And we became very close. And so now Benji travels with me as my sister. And Benji is the culture, a cultural ambassador for Coventry City of Culture, sits on Coventry Pride and is, is on the Warwick Art Committee and works at Warwick University. So if I can get the money together, I want to fully fund Benji when Benji's funding runs out from Coventry so that we can travel around the country. Because, I mean, Benji is happy sleeping on this settee in the back. I sleep in the front. And we've done three or four festivals together this year, travelled around for weeks all over the country. Yeah, if you call that living the dream, I'm, I believe I'm living the dream, but it's not quite the dream that all the other caravans around here, the family there, they've got their glass of wine and their meal coming over there. They're off to the beach. You know, I, I might get surfing tonight, but <laughs> it's damn hard work. You know, yeah. um, it's, a, it's an 18 hour day. But as I said in that McLaren video, I'm living a life of purpose and I'm very grateful for that opportunity. My mother passed away last March and her passing, the work she did in the community running arts projects inspires me every day so thank you for listening Nikki I, I really appreciate it no problem at all and I'm sure everybody else will be buying into it because it's such a important message so thank you so much for your time thank you very much bye 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 I wish Nick all the success he deserves with his mission to drive a more holistic approach to education and provide opportunities for everyone to explore and develop their creativity and creative thinking. Now, I promise to share a tip on that fear of not being good enough at your chosen creative skill. In the last episode, I mentioned a creative adventure for 2023 and beyond to learn something new. The skill I'm talking about here is the Argentine tango. It is something I've wanted to be able to dance for many years. Of course, before you start to learn a new skill, you are blissfully ignorant of your inability. Then, as a beginner, you quickly realise just how much you have to learn, just how unable you are. This was definitely the case with my recent trip to Argentina for a week of lessons. I know I am very lucky. It was a dream holiday, so I am very grateful for the experience. As an aside, for the holiday, I decided to buy a book at the airport. I wanted something different, something inspiring and good, but not necessarily something I had heard of. There was a section of shelves labelled Books Everyone Should Read. Many of them were bestsellers, but not always from authors we would all know and not from the current year. I chose a novel instinctively. I never read the blurb. I want to go in with a fresh pair of eyes, without any preconceptions or expectations. And I am so pleased I did. The novel was Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. I loved it. There aren't any spoilers for me here. I'll let you decide whether it's something that would have been of interest to you. It is one of those books which will stick with me for a long time. But let's get back to the creative tip and how this is relevant to learning the tango. The book had a big impact on me. 
and reminded me of a tip from my guest, bibliotherapist Vijal Shah, in season one. She said, the language of literature can allow us to find ways to express how we're feeling, when previously we didn't have the words to do that. Reading can allow us to connect with ourselves and what we're going through. There is a line from the book on page 80. It says, There is a time for any fledgling artist where one's tastes exceeds one's abilities. The only way to get through this period is to make things anyway. The characters of the book are computer games designers, but the principle can be applied to any creative endeavour. My dancing ambition definitely exceeds my ability at the moment, and I suspect it will do for quite some time. But to overcome this, I will definitely keep dancing and learning anyway. I'll add a link to my conversation with Bijal and for the book in the show notes. And if a podcast is a creative adventure you'd like to begin, check out the links for Alitu, my podcast recording and editing software, and Captivate, my podcast hosting software. Do you have a skill you are developing or would like to be better at? Or have you read a book that has taught you a lesson? Share your answers with us in the Creative Switch community. We'd love to hear about your creative adventures. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Creative Switch. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review over on podchaser.com. And if you've got any questions, please let me know on Instagram at Nikki underscore Valance. How do you succeed as you? I do hope you join me next time and my guest, Helena Holrick, personal progress master coach and chief cheerleader at Helping You Shine. And remember, why survive when you can thrive?